Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the Articulate Fly, and we're here with Ethan Martin of Tail Tellers Fly Shop. How's it going, Ethan? I'm doing good today. Well, that's good. No cars in the shop. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Not today, anyway. <laughs> well, so for people that don't know, we were talking before the interview about three weeks ago, uh, Ethan had the uh, great misfortune of having someone drive their car all the way into his shop. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and uh, how things are coming on the recovery side, Ethan? Yeah, I was sitting, I tie a lot of flies as I'm in the shop for people or for whoever. So it's like 9.30 in the morning. I had just started up on a, another order for some people. And then all of a sudden the ground started to shake. And then I went like half deaf. And as I looked up, my I've got two aisles in the shop that are pretty large. I guess like 14 foot or something like that. And the front one was about three foot off the ground. And then there was a table flipping through the sky and glass shooting everywhere. And I had no idea <laughs> what was going on. All I knew, I was like half deaf. So I stood up and then round the corner real quick. And then, uh, of course, there's a, a vehicle that has decided to uh, parallel park, or at least they were attempting to parallel park in front of the shop. And they somehow cleared the curb and then crushed in my entire uh, window and were completely in the shop. And nobody was harmed, so that was that was good, obviously. Um, we lost a fair amount of product, but it's it's been good ever since. I mean, I had to bust my butt to get everything back in shape before Father's Day. But yeah, it was, it was a very exciting day. Um, and it was just an elderly guy who just mistook the... Uh, or something happened with the accelerator. I'm not really sure what it was, but... Uh, one thing led to another, and he came through the shop door. So it was uh, not something I'd like to repeat again, but there was a lot of uh, lemonades out of the lemons. So. Well, that's good. Yeah, I know. Luckily, nobody was hurt, and I think you were offline for a little bit less than a week. I think you really got after, and you were reopened the Friday uh, after the accident, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I worked many long <laughs> hours because I, I, I built everything in here, so I had to rebuild a couple of the aisles that got smashed. Um, and then picking up all of the inventory that got ran over and then sort through everything on the pegs pretty much flew off. So, you know, I had to sort through all the inventory, see what's damaged, see what's good. Um, and we built a couple of extra little gizmos and gadgets while we were, had the whole shops in disrepair. So yeah, we had a couple of really long days, but it came together. I wanted to be open before Father's Day just because I, uh, knew that I'd had a fair amount of people that already said they were trying to get rods and stuff for their grandpa or for their dad. So I was like, if I can get open for then. And so, and it's easy for me. I'm a kind of like a goal oriented person. It's like, if I can set the goal, then I can work towards it. But if I'm just like, yeah, I'll open whenever I feel like it, it probably would be close <laughs> right now, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We'll um, we'll listen. We'll uh, go back to kind of the traditional articulate fly format. And I, I if you you've listened before, uh, you, you know that I ask all of my guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Yeah, and, and honestly, I've been trying to rack my brain around what it is. I know I was, I've, I fished with my grandpa. He's the one that that taught me to fish. Uh, we fished mainly spinning gear or whatever, <laughs> um, and then. So I grew up in Waynesboro, and I'm pretty positive that the like the first time I actually remember fishing was actually on the South River at Ridgeview Park. So there's this small park, and back in the uh, well before everybody got all safety conscious about like playground equipment, they, were, they had all these like wooden playground things that you get these gnarly sprinters in, like. The splinter is like as long as your forearm somehow slide to your toe. It's like, what the heck? <laughs> but I remember I was probably like three or four, um, and we fished the South River right there. We didn't catch a thing, but we saw these like suckers everywhere. Um, and they've got this green metal bridge or whatever that goes across the river. And I remember as a kid, I would, I would walk over the bridge and like look down and you'd see these just huge suckers. And I, and I had no clue what they were, but I always remember Every time he came, we tried to catch him, and he always told me that they ate worms, but we, we never had success with that. Um, but I do also remember, I was probably five or six when, um, uh, yeah, I was definitely five. I don't know how I remember that. I just remember. Um, we w would go to Montebello, which is like a trout pay pond, essentially. Um, and so I'd, I grew up wasting my grandpa's bank account up there because every fish you catch you have to pay for it and you know as a kid you're like oh let me catch one more come on grandpa please please <laughs> um so i remember those two places for sure 
and I I just don't know really which one came first. Um, and then I also I I fished a whole lot with my grandpa just in downtown Lynchburg off of uh, Percival's Island. Did a lot of fishing there, and he would make me collect these little terrifying Helgramites. Um, and I was always petrified of those things because you see a big old crazy looking jaws. But um, it, those three things are really what mesh in my mind as too like the beginnings of my fishing career. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's super cool. Yeah, I did some time on pay ponds too. If I remember maybe going to Huff Creek when I was a yeah. kid and catching <laughs> trout. And I can remember the big um, big question mark for the parent always was, do you pay by the hour or do you pay by the pound? Yeah. It's like how, how lucky do you feel? Yep. <laughs> um, well, that's really cool. When did you move to the dark side of fly fishing? Uh, so, like I said, when I was, I fished with my grandpa and he was more of your style fisherman that was just chuck it out sit down you wait and if they're gonna eat they're gonna eat and i i'm not that like i'm kind of a antsy like getting stuff done individual so when i was 10 um my i remember my grandpa when i was 10 um wanting to figure something else out for me because we would go and fish and and i would be like wanting to run around or throw rocks in and stuff and and he was fine with that but uh, I think he finally caved when I was 11 and got me a fly rod, and I had no clue really what it was. I, I'd seen his, he had a bamboo one that was like a South Bend. I remember casting that sometimes in his front yard with one of those automatic retrieve uh, reels. I actually have it. He gave it to me. But um, so I remember him giving me the rod basically because he was, I, I would go and spend a week at his house in the summers here in Lunchburg, and we would just go and fish, and I would be his uh shadow <laughs> following around everywhere and i think after a while he just wanted to get stuff done so he was like if i give this kid a fly rod and just tell him to go start practicing casting then he's gonna leave me alone for maybe at least 40 minutes so uh that's that's what we did he got me a fly rod uh from kmart it was just one of those entry level things had a couple poppers in it and uh so he would set up hula hoops in the yard and i w- he would leave and i would try and ca- cast him into the hula hoops and then uh, we went to a couple farm ponds like two or three weeks after that here in Lynchburg, and I, we just demolished bluegill. And as a, as a, like a not even a teenager, you know, eleven years old, catching like I can't. I think the first one we caught like forty or fifty, which was just unheard for me. You know, I I was just a kid. I was used to like throwing a bobber and a worm, and you'd just sit and wait, and and they would eat it, obviously. But yeah, and then watching the take, it was. It captivated me. So pretty much I I got really comfortable with the whole fly fishing game pretty early on um, because I just liked all the different aspects to it. I'm constantly active, constantly casting. Uh, Watching the take was always cool because I I did a lot of just bass fishing and bluegill fishing for uh, most of my early teens before I really got into any sort of trout thing. Um, And I did a little bit of time with a spinning rod again in my late teens um it was kind of like a dual interest thing i think it was my fly rod broke or something like that and so i went through a little span where i was like ah, i'll just pick up the spinning rod again and then uh once i turned it was 19 there was really no going back because i could i could drive i could go wherever i wanted to and i had a little bit more money from working summer jobs so i got a little bit nicer rod um, and then, yeah, that's been all she's wrote ever, ever since then. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty cool. And, you know, obviously your grandfather was really important to your fishing development. Who were some of your other mentors in the fly fishing world as you kind of learned more about how the game worked? Uh, well, that's one of the funny things about me is I never really had any mentor. I, I always joke and say the river, <laughs> the river was my mentor because I didn't, I didn't have like one particular person who taught me anything. I, I listened to a butt ton of a podcast, <laughs> Um, and so that was super helpful because I was listening from all these great people that had been fly fishing a long time. And I, and then I read a lot of books, um, cause I, I'm kind of that generation that was like, I learned fly tying when I was 12 because I went to the library and got books about fly tying. And then as I progressed towards like my early twenties, when I really realized, Hey, YouTube is a a thing um so i feel like that transition for me was like i i got a whole lot of weird knowledge from a whole bunch of random places because i've watched so many 
<laughs> YouTube videos of like Streamer Chronicles or, you know, you name it. So it, it's weird to me because I never really had like one person. Most of it was just I fished a lot and uh, I would, you know, like five, six times a week. I, I had the South River in my pretty much my backyard and nobody's going to say, hey, don't go travel two minutes so you can fish for an hour. So I could I could go whenever I wanted to and make a whole bunch of mistakes. Um, but learn a lot too. Um, so yeah, I don't really have like one mentor other than the lake and books and in, yeah. in Google. In Google. <laughs> yeah. Later in life. <laughs> Google's helped me now. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's really cool. What's your uh, favorite species to chase on the fly? Oh man. Uh, so that's another hard thing because I kind of like it all. I guess if I had one, I would probably say brook trout, that, brook trout or just native trout. Um, were some of my, we call them native trout here, a bunch of the old guys that come into the shop, they call them mountain trout, stuff like that. Um, but the native brook trout here have been the one fish species that I've chased probably the longest um, out of the trout family. Because um, I always just like the fact you can just go take a hike here in Virginia and catch a whole bunch of brook trout on a, on a fly rod, and usually it's a dry fly. Um, so that's the one that I spent a whole lot of time doing. However, I say that I, I like fishing for everything. <laughs> like yesterday it was on the Chesapeake Bay or catching the striper and, um, bluefish and the specks. And, and I, I mean, I like doing that. Um, musky on the fly. I like doing, I have a hate, love hate relationship with musky on the fly. Cause you know, it, it's really, I love it when they eat the fly, but I hate it when they just, you're musky fishing and there's nothing for days <laughs> not one day just days yeah no no it's uh, it's humbling yeah it'll, it'll, oh yeah it's i think it's uh i don't know that it's a better challenge than steelhead fishing but it's it'll test it's you fun. okay but then when you get a fish that eats on the figure eight right your feet like that that makes it worth it so yeah and then and i, I mean i like trout fishing um just rainbow i do some of the european style nymphing stuff um i've done two-hand you know, fly rod stuff. So I kind of have a, uh, if you look in my, my closet of gear, there's just a little bit of everything. <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong with that. And are you willing to share some of your favorite places to fish? I know that can sometimes yeah, be a no, top secret no. thing. I mean, it, yeah. If anybody comes into the shop, they know I, I fish the South river a lot. Um, that's a river that it's got stock fish in it. It's holdover fish. And then there's some wild fish that are starting to populate there. Um, that one's kind of close to my heart because, like I said, th that was one of the first ones that I remember fishing as a kid because um, I lived in Waynesboro. And then um, with the fly shop that's up there right now, South River Fly Shop, and then um, I, it was cool because I was kind of with the wave through of us getting all the regulations changed with it because before it was just a delayed, the downtown section was a delayed harvest. Um, and then we've, all the regulations have gotten switched to be really in the favor of the fishery because it's, it, I mean, there's spring fed, so the fish hold over really well. And so now it's a uh, catch and release, um, and single hook artificial or only. And then there's an upper section that's fly fishing only. Um, so that's one of my favorites just because, I mean, I, I kind of know like every little nook and cranny of the river from fishing it for many hours. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's one of my favorites. And then I like a bunch of the small streams, um, I can give you specific air, like I like Shenandoah National Park, um, and some of the streams that aren't quite as well known, um, the Rapidan fishes really well. So if you're looking for a stream in Shenandoah National Park, you can go fish the Rapidan. That's a fun stream. <laughs> well, there you go. I won't, uh, I won't waterboard you for any more spots. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, so, I would answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how about, um, telling us a little bit about how you got interested in fly tying? Yeah, so that's a that's a pretty simple one too. So uh, this is also what why I think it's <laughs> fly tying kits can be very helpful because I uh, was twelve uh, at the time, and a friend of my dad's found out that he wasn't even in the, he was, he lived in Ohio, um, but they lived near us when when I was a lot smaller, um, and he found out that I got a fly rod, and so he was big into fly tying and fly fishing. And so he just, they came to visit one time and he had this fly tying kit that he got from Cabela's. I think it was like a Wopsy one or something. And he gave that to me. And that was like, that, that was a game changer because I was always like the kid that liked, you know, going out, doing a bunch of stuff, 
making things, Legos, you name it. As a kid, you know, by the time you're 12, you're kind of like, oh, I don't know how I feel about it. But then I was like, hold up. This is like arts and crafts for adults that I can now make and then go use to catch fish. Um, so that was, uh, that's when I started. And, and basically, it was fly tying kit that had enough, you know, for like 20 patterns or something. Had a little, what was it, Cabela? No, it was a Wopsy. Yeah, it was. Um, booklet that told you, you know, here's how you tie all this patterns here's this crazy thing called a whip finishing tool which was terrifying to use as a kid because it was like nobody nobody taught me all i had is like four pictures that say this is how you do it so yeah i was i couldn't do that for like a year but then one day it just lucked out and it happened um but most of that i mean i grew up on a, a farm too so it not like chickens but hay you know and birds and squirrels and deer so like we would shoot a deer um, and I would take the bucktail and turn it into these things called clouser nymphs. <laughs> and then, uh, or not clouser nymphs, just a clouser minnow or any random thing with bucktail. <laughs> um, so I started doing a lot of stuff with bucktail too um, because my dad, he had a couple of just tanned hides that he had gotten throughout his life. He wasn't like big into hunting, um, but he lived in Texas. So he had like a mule deer tanned hide, the full thing. Um, and then I had a couple other people who had access to like skins and, um, like I had a whole elk hair skin for a while. And so that was pretty cool. Let's see. And then I had stuffed turkey. So naturally I always found myself pulling a couple of turkey feathers to make nymphs, that sort of thing. And then we, we shot a lot of squirrel. Um, we had, Fox squirrel, all sorts of stuff around. So like a lot of my materials came from the other part of stuff that I enjoyed at, at that age, which was hunting. I don't do much hunting anymore because fly fishing has kind of taken full reins of my life. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of how I got into it there. That's pretty cool too. Cause you know, one of the toughest things, I mean, you know, and it's funny cause you know, I'm older than you are, but I grew up in Lynchburg and you know, there were no fly shops. And I mean, and just, and, and you know this cause you really tie yeah you know, getting good materials. So, I mean, you basically were making your own. Yeah. <laughs> and they weren't always the best. <laughs> um, so did you learn fly tying the same way you learned fly fishing or were there people that helped you, um, in your tying journey that you, you remember? No, it was just me on my own. That, that that's kind of, <laughs> it's funny. Cause even when I think about the shop, uh, opening the shop has been the thing that I got like the most outside help on, but my personal fly fishing and fly tying, it was kind of like, I just wanted to do it, so I did it. Like, <laughs> and I looked up uh, books, and and we were fortunate because I don't know who must have donated all the books to the library, but there was a pretty good um, selection, and so I had checked all those books out probably like eight or nine times a piece over the years. Um, and I mean, it was just like really common, like the Orvis Guide to uh, Fly Fishing, you know, like the old one, not the new revised one, or like the. Uh, L.L. Bean guide to fly tying and it's like so it's not like they were even these like super specific it was just a lot of them were this more generic um, but you got a whole bunch of different people explaining it which were super helpful for me because you know I, I might not click with the way one guy wrote it or something especially as a kid because it's something it's not like this is you know uh, I, I wasn't a huge reader at that time um, so like having all those little pictures <laughs> were super helpful it sounds childish to say it that way but that's just the reality um, and so it, it, I really learned most of what I learned at that stage just by reading people's books and then trial and error and figuring it out. Um, so yeah, that was been <laughs> a lot of my, uh, things that I've learned <laughs> in life. <laughs> that's, uh, that's really cool. And you mentioned earlier, uh, that your first vice came out of a Wopsy tying kit and I can literally see the cover on that yeah. box. I think it's got a brassy on the yep. cover, right? <laughs> Um, which means you probably had like a Griffin vice or something like that yep. was probably what was yeah. in the kit. Um, obviously you've moved on and you tie professionally now. What is your rig of choice these days? Yeah, I like, I have an HMH. That's what I tie everything on. There's a, I have a Regal, um, that stays in the shop. I tie a lot of stuff on that. Um, but when I was like full into tying for other people, which was, um, a lot of hours behind the vice, I, I upgraded, obviously, from that Wopsy one a long time ago, and then um, got another vice that was decent, and then um, 
I was having problems with the the hooks slipping all the time. It it, it was like frustrating to no end. But I didn't feel. I mean, it's not like you're making a ton of money tying flies. That's one of the other realities that I think some people neglect or or just don't realize. But <laughs> so that's not your Lamborghini out front of the shop. No, no, that's not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I tied flies for a long time, even for you know. I would guess I would say professionally, but um, tied flies for a long time for other people on a vice that was still like, eh, you know, like it was good. It had five-star review on Amazon, all that jazz. But then I always told my wife, I was like, because this was by the time we had uh, gotten married, we got married. Um, we'll have our fifth anniversary coming up here. Um, but, or and, I guess. I shouldn't say but. <laughs> and she had always heard me talking about getting any vice and I showed her an HMH. I was like, man, that's the one I want to get one day. And then I came home one day and it was sitting there on the, on my table. I was like, what? <laughs> so yeah, my wife is a great wife, Miranda. She, uh, she got me the vice that I've, I've been tying on that for um, a couple of years now. And I, I don't know that I would go back because it, I just like the simplicity of it. And it, when you punch down the lock, it locks down. <laughs> Doesn't matter what's in there. <laughs> and is it a specific model of HMH or the one she got me was the Spartan um, because that one is the mid level one. So it's not it doesn't have all the kicks and gizzles of like the standard, um, but that's what we could afford, and so that's what I got. So now it's just it's sentimental because it has like crap all over the base, and so uh, I don't know if I could get rid of it if i could because it was a sweet memory you know <laughs> there you go no that's awesome and um and i know that tail teller started as a fly company yeah yep. and so you know you learn to fish you learn to tie when do you make the decision that you want to do production fly tying yeah so that was um an interesting one because so basically this was my philosophy just do your best just tie flies i never anticipated selling my flies that was not something that was on my radar i wasn't trying to like make it happen um and i just tied flies i, I did the best that i could and i tied flies and um tried to stay as consistent because i have that little bit of that like ocd strain within me um and then you know i would show other people my my box or whatever and they'd be like can will you give me some of those and i'm like uh Okay, so I I started off really honestly like it, I I didn't have that business like vein like let me make money on this this second it was yeah I'll just give you some flies and then got tired of your friends mooching off of yeah, you like yeah, Dude, you got to yeah. pay me well not even that then they started telling they showed the flies to their friends and then their friends showed them to and you know give them to them and so then eventually I I got like phone calls from a couple of people I don't even know who they were but it was like hey I'm going to Montana I've seen some of your flies. Um, would you be willing to tie me a box? It's like, uh, I've read stuff about flies in Montana, but, and I would be like, so what flies do you want? And then they'd, <laughs> the natural thing is like, I don't know, whatever fish is in Montana. So it was like, okay. <laughs> so then I would, I would be like, ask them, you know, well, where are you going in Montana? What time of the year are you going? And I would get a couple of questions and then, or I might call a fly shop out there or something. And then I would, tie flies for him um and then that sort of led to i was tying a couple of boxes for people um and i still have those original people that i don't some of them i don't really honestly know how um they they found me um it could be you know social media because i started i started i like photography too um and that's one of the other things that i think helped was because like People ask me what what was my how did you start selling flies and it's like uh I I just took pictures of flies and tied lots of flies and I tried to do the best I could but like I have a guy in uh, L A who's an artist out there that he was one of the first ones that gave me uh quite a large order of flies and it was like two completely filled boxes because he just purchased a pretty large pot of air. but that guy I mean he's he, I'll keep him anonymous but um yeah that the artist i mean he still contacts me sends me pictures of the fish that he's catching and actually i'm working through an order for him right now because I'm, I'm still doing it a little bit even with the shop being open but yeah so so most of my progression was 
I was just doing the best I could, you know, tie every fly as well as I could, as similar to the other one as I could. And then people liked that. So it was just, hey, uh, you know, can you do two dozen of this, two dozen of that? And then um, I sold a whole lot of flies to <laughs> South River Fly Shop uh, in Waynesboro. And that was part of the other thing that helped get me going because I tied a you know, a lot of like patterns that I had seen in books and that sort of stuff. And then when I started tying for them, it was, you know, more uh, patterns that people are buying on a more frequent basis, obviously. And so um, I started tying for them. The most I remember doing in one night was 22 dozen flies. And that was a long night. And so it it got to the point that, so like this is sort of the progression of things for me was it got to the point where it was like five, six hours a day I'm tying. And then when you actually like review how much you're making, it's like, oh, like this. And, and it's not just, it's really honestly because I could have charged more, you know, or there could have been other things that I could have done. But I mean, it's like, yeah, would you be happy with $8 or $10. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're still, it's not very much. Like, a little bit better than minimum wage. Um, and a lot of time that goes into it. And it, it was fun. Don't, don't, like, I still tie for people. But, um, yeah, it that is part of the reason that led me to where I'm at today. Because I realized how much I enjoyed doing fly fishing related work. Um, I didn't want to be a commercial tire full time. Like, you know, Pat Cohen, those guys, it, it's cool. I mean, all they can have all that acclaim because that's not me. I'm, I'm not the type of person who wants to sit behind a desk for, you know, because, I mean, to, to make money at it that you can live off of, you'd have to be doing like 12-hour 12 hour, <laughs> 12 tying a day or tie bigger patterns or um, tie a lot more than what I was wanting to tie. Um, and it was nice. I got a lot of money for fishing gear. So I got a lot of fishing. Gear. <laughs> I paid for a couple of trips with my wife. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of what it led, um, led us to tied. Like when I look back over the books, it's like, I tied thousands of flies. That's crazy. Like it, <laughs> what the heck was I thinking? <laughs> my vice got halfway destroyed because of how many flies I was making. Um, and it was good. You know, it, most of the patterns, too, were fairly simple. It's not like I was tying these, like, four hours for one fly that I'm going to charge 180 bucks for or something like that, which some guys do that. That's cool. Um, it, to each his own. That's kind of <laughs> where I'm at. No, that's uh, that's really cool, and uh, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I want to ask you, too, uh, about where the name Tail Tellers came from. Ah, so there's... There's two sides to this coin. The first side is I, I like telling stories. I'm, I like telling, listening to stories. Um, so when I was an early teen, I remember I was like talking to my mom and I was just like jabbing her ear off because of how much I was talking about it, probably hunting or something <laughs> that she... She she loves me, but you know it's not like she cares about hunting. So she was listening politely. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I remember her telling me like, "You're such a tale teller." <laughs> and then I don't think she was like you know trying to be mean or anything, but um, that name sort of stuck with me like in my head. And then when I was later in my teens, I I got into like woodworking a little bit. And when I say a little bit, I mean like a little bit. I could make some basic things, you know. And um, I remember at the top of them, I was making this guitar pedal. Um, case because I play guitar too and so I wanted to have like you know some sort of cool thing in the top corner I don't know what but I remember writing in um, TT and not for Thomas and Thomas or anything it, in my mind I was like if I ever had a company I would call it Tail Tellers and I had no idea what what that would be I had no idea that that would actually happen um, but then when we went to you know look at starting the shop I was like there's only one name I'm gonna have Tail tellers. And that was just the fly side of things, you know, and, and um, saying everything tells a tale. You know, every fly you can catch the biggest fish or your, your ear, or anything that you do, you know, you can create a tail out of it. Um, and then that it was tail tellers fly fishing. That's what I sold flies through. And then um, as we have progressed to where we're at today, we switched over to tail tellers fly shop to better <laughs> show what we do, which is we're a fly shop. Um, and it's been uh, it's been cool. A lot of people ask about the name, and um, so 
yeah, that's that's how it happened. <laughs> let's uh, that's super cool, and I want to talk a little bit more um, about tying before we talk a little bit more about the shop. Yeah. So you know, we, you obviously, you've shared with us that you can spend a lot of hours at the vice, and yeah. <laughs> you don't get paid a lot of money necessarily. No, you don't. Um, what are some of the other challenges that? Um, I guess we'll just call them normal fly tires. I uh, would be surprised to hear that you you face as a production tire. Yeah. Uh, well, the first one that I don't hear a lot of people talk about, but it, it's the excise tax that's on flies. Um, because, like, if you scroll through Instagram, everybody and their buddies selling flies, which, you know, some people don't care about extra taxes. But that's one of the things that you got to keep in mind if you want to sell flies is there's a 10% tax on your wholesale product. So keeping, it's not like you can just buzz out a hundred and forget about them and be like, oh, whoops, because Uncle Sam's going to not be happy if that ever came to light. Would it come to light? I don't know. But that's one of the first things. Like if, if somebody is trying to up their game, you, you got to get that stuff right. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. And that's the same tax that's on gear, right? That we use to fund conservation or is that a different excise tax? That is a little bit different. So that's on... Um, I don't actually know what the heck they do with that money, but it's on like diesel, tobacco, a couple other random products, fishing tackle boxes, and then anything that has to do with flies. There are some interesting exclusions, such as if you um, put a marshmallow in your fly, it is excluded from the tax. <laughs> and there's a couple other random things like that, but you know, I, I've thought through people like, let me use marshmallow as a dubbing wax, and then I'll be, but yeah, I would. I just, I'm the type of guy that just rather have everything on the books, do everything clean and clear. We're all good. Um, don't have to worry about anything. Not everybody's that way. I get it. So, you know, have fun. But that's one of the first things that I just, I really wanted to mention because I see it a lot and people ask me questions a lot. And that's one of the first things. Like, if you're not willing to do that, you know, well, should you consider maybe not because it's a $10,000 fine if they catch you? Uh, <laughs> so now I don't honestly think that that might ever happen, but I'd rather just do everything by the book. <laughs> yeah. Makes it easier to sleep at night. Yeah. Uh, for me, especially. Um, but go, so going back to the, like more specifically, like for people who are just tying flies and they just want to, um, enjoy tying flies, they're not trying to sell them that sort of thing. One of the things that, that I tell a lot of people that come through the shop is just tie your best. I mean, it, it's not like it has to be, you know, some fancy Davy McPhail, perfectly articulated, you know, whatever, <laughs> you name it. Um, you're just tying flies to catch fish. And, and like, if you're trying to up your game, well, just tie your best. You know, if you make a mistake, go back, correct whatever the mistake was. Or, and that's the other thing why I like tying flies is because it takes like a couple minutes to tie a fly, depending on what it is, maybe, maybe not much time at all. Um, but if you're going to mess up, you know, you can go back and you can fix that. And that, I mean, you're in charge of the fly. That's one of the, the key, when we have fly tying classes, that's one of the main things I like to try and get across. Like you're, you're in charge of what happens on the fly. Like if, if it, you don't like the way that it looks, well, then there's just something that's off that, you know, in all reality you've done, you know, it could just be, you had too much thread tension or not enough thread tension. There's all sorts of like little, it could be's. Um, but the bottom like underlying principle is just you're in charge of tying the fly. Um, so just tie it the best that you can. If you're not happy, then tie another one. <laughs> you know, that that's that was my philosophy in getting into it. It was like I'm more the person that I don't really care if I screw up the first hundred times because I think maybe my hundred and first time I'll get it right. Um, and so when it comes down to, to tying the flies, it's like just keep tying flies. I mean, you, it doesn't matter what they look like, you know, tie flies and then go fish with them yeah yeah it's just kind of like there's no substitute for being on the water there's no substitute yeah. for just cranking stuff <laughs> yeah. out of vice either right yeah yeah and uh there are other th nice th like some of the other tidbits you know buy good materials that's going to help you um if you do how i started and you're just grabbing random pieces of animal and tying them on a hook well those flies did catch fish not a doubt about it i mean we had a bass pond not too far from our house that i caught a lot of fish on because you know i just died flies um and they didn't look pretty i have i have <laughs> gallon bags of the old flies that i tied i mean like i think there's like four or five of them at this point 
like whole gallon bags completely filled to the brim of all these crappy flies that I've made <laughs> over the year that I keep them because it's kind of a, a recollection or, or helps me remember where I came from and then just how much work it really did come to get to being uh, a a decent tire, you know? Okay. <laughs> and then in theory, you tell yourself that some rainy day, you're going to sit down and with a razor blade and get all the hooks back. And yeah. That's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of picking out good materials, I mean, synthetics are one thing, but, um, natural materials are another. And, you know, obviously it's great for people to have access to a shop like yours yeah. where you tie. So if someone calls you, yeah, you kind of speak the lingo. So yeah. you kind of understand yep. what people are looking for, but what are some tips you can give people, um, particularly if they've got to buy over the internet, right? Where they, yeah. cause you know, not everyone's lucky enough to have a local fly shop yep. to like get good stuff that actually won't create more problems for them than it'll solve. Yeah. Well, that, and that's one of the things too, that is just one of the difficulties of buying stuff over the internet is you, you never know what you're going to get. I've bought, I've bought a lot of stuff <laughs> over the internet that you get it in and it's, questionable you know or and i say that now because like i know what i'm looking for um but like some of the things are it this is kind of just the way that i if i find a deal that's too good to be true like if you are searching through ebay and you find uh you know a hackle cape that's 22 cents you might want to stay away from that you know like it, it's one thing you, you save like you know three dollars Okay, but now you've got this weird thing that could be like beetle infested or who knows that is this stuff from, you know, India that's come over because especially if you look at um, some of the older style stuff, that's one thing that I see a lot of guys, they'll bring in like an old fly tying kit that their dad handed down to them. And they're like, tell me, is this stuff any good? And yeah, no, you can use it um, for sure. Like a, a guy's brought in this... Uh, I don't know if it was a, an Indian cape, but it, it had it was like an Orvis package from like the '70s that said dry fly hackle, and the like. I have, you know, it, the thing was sitting in the palm of my hand. This little tiny like dry fly hackle. You had to take like four or five hackle feathers to make one atoms. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's probably it, what you grew up. It, on. It's pre Tom Whiting, right? Yeah, Where it's like how many feathers do we need? Yeah, yeah, anything Whiting you can buy, <laughs> and and that's one of the funny things is you know if it's really old. It, the materials do stay together. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, here's your dubbing. It's going to be fine. Like, there are some products like that that a lot of dubbings I'm fine with. Just you can buy it over the internet and you're not going to have to worry about that. Um, it comes down to, like, hair. You know, when when you've got what's good deer hair, belly hair, you know, for spinning up bugs. Um, and my answer to that is usually if you if you buy nature spirit stuff, that's that's what I've gone. I'm I'm not a rep of nature spirit, but every time that I've got their stuff, I've been pleased with it. Um, and there's a couple, you know, here and there that it's like, oh, uh, but it's still all usable, really well stuff. Um, if you just buy a huge whole deer pelt on eBay, like I said, for like $4, yeah, you never know what you're going to get. Um, but yeah, buying a reputable band or like brand helps things. Um, when it comes to hackle, whiting hackle, I mean, that's, you're, you're not going to have a problem buying whiting hackle. Um, that's another one of the things I tell a lot of guys that are just getting into tying is like, if you want to tie dry flies, you know, you can get a nice hackle and, um, it, it seems crazy to spend, you know, a hundred bucks or over on, on feathers, but you really do use them like, I mean, I've got hackles that I, I bought when I was like, 17 that i'm i still have plenty of feathers on so like it's a it's a great investment as a starter um and then some of the other things too so like you said synthetics fine you don't have to worry about that but like cdc stuff like that feathers you you still you never really know what you're going to get with that like when you're talking um mallard flanks you know like a, a buddy of mine just got back from idaho and came from Kelly Gallup shop and he had a bag of mallard flanks that were ridiculous. I mean, the things are enormous. And I guess that's what he, I mean, he's tying his zoo cougars and stuff like that with them. But I have never seen a bag of mallard flanks that was as perfect as that bag. Um, a lot of the stuff that you buy on the internet like that, you know, it's, it's going to be, you get these tiny little shriveled, like half semicircle flanks. And then you get like four or five good ones. Um, so, 
some things like that, you just buy it. It's like three bucks. You know, you might buy two, three bags and um, you'll get a couple of them that are good. And like what I, when I'm thinking good, I mean like I want something that's pretty flat, has a little bit of a curve going down to it and then a pretty decent size, you know, but like some of those feathers that my buddy gave me are like four inches long. They're, they're insane. Um, so there's some things like that, that if you just get two bags yeah, <laughs> instead of one. Yeah. It's funny. I always keep a list, uh, on my iPhone of tying stuff. And whenever I'm in a shop like that, I just basically hit it. Yep. Oh, if I, yeah, if I was there, I would have a trash bag of that stuff. Cause it, that's one of the things I'm always looking for. Um, and finding it when i find a good source i buy it all <laughs> yeah there's another there's another shop if you haven't heard about it there's a, another fish camp that's up the valley from kelly's place yeah and the guy is a whiting dealer okay and it's <laughs> the whole the whole room the whole, whole room yep. is full of it and he's like and if i don't have it here i have a bunch more upstairs and yeah. so like yeah that's a place well, that's you, good to know <laughs> yeah something something to file away i think they close at the end of september every season uh, um so we talked a little bit about how your frustration with uh, being a production tire, you like you liked it, but you realized you couldn't make a living doing it. And that sort of pushed you towards becoming a full-service fly shop. What else kind of drove you to um, open a, f- a full-fledged fly shop in downtown Lynchburg? Uh, well, so my dad owned a small business for a pretty long time, um, 26 years, 27, and then he sold it uh, four years ago. So I, as a kid, I grew up, Helped him on the farm, helped him in the shop a lot. Um, and so I got kind of a firsthand look at small business, um, what that was like. And and that that's kind of, so my philosophy going into it was, first off, a fly shop is a small business. There's not a way around that. You know, I think I've heard some people like, it's in its own subcategory. It's like, yeah, it's a small business. I mean, <laughs> that's what it is. And so um, opening up a full servicing, it was, I was tying four, five, six hours a night. Um, and I was enjoying it, but I knew that there would be an easier way, or maybe not even easier, you know, but a way that I enjoyed more uh, making money. And uh, all my family lives in Lynchburg and I love fly fishing. And um, I'm not like super salesman I guess I'll say it that way. Like my, my vibe is not like you know, you didn't walk into the shop the first time I'm trying to sell you like the most expensive rod that exists, you know. Um, but I I can sell stuff. Um, I know a, a fair amount. i always learning stuff about fly fishing. Learned a lot about, you know, like bluefish and stuff like that yesterday. So I'm always learning stuff. But through the years, I've, I've amassed a bit of random knowledge on like jack of all trades that doesn't know a ton yet. Um, still learning. But I... Uh, thought it would always be awesome to own a fly shop. And so my wife and I had been um, contemplating that through been saving for, you know, we didn't really know what we were going to be doing in the future. Um, Cause I worked at a church before this, I was a pastor and then um, there was a school affiliated. So I worked at the school too. And, and I enjoyed that. Um, and I, the whole time I was taking like teens out from the, from the school or take them out and go fish and, and a lot of stuff like that. And then I did a couple of the fly shows that was just like, I showed up with a, a butt ton of flies. And so I really enjoyed like different aspects of that, teaching people how to fly fish, um, teaching people how to tie flies. Cause I did that too. I um, taught some of the teens, you know, how to make woolly buggers and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but so that was some of the things that I, saw in myself that I enjoyed and I thought if I could do that full time that would be awesome like that would be the dream um and so for myself that's what my wife and I just started working towards which was um you know what's it going to take to open a fly shop of our own because that that's one thing a lot of people have been asking me too um and the other funny thing too is I think a lot of people think it was like because I mean I didn't tell a lot of people um when as we were thinking it through because I didn't want somebody else to come through and because I wanted to have a fly shop in, in downtown Lynchburg because my wife and I we we got engaged in um downtown I proposed in downtown um I fished off Percival's Island when I was a kid and I've got a lot of memories down there for catching smallmouth um and so I thought if I ever do it I would love to have it downtown so you know I can just like 
walk around or people can just walk in that sort of vibe. Um, and I wanted it to be in Lynchburg. And so we just started looking at places. So, so tell us a little bit about the manufacturers that you carry in the shop. Yeah. So, um, I, that's been another cool thing is a lot of the brands that I've been able to get in are ones that like I've personally always liked (laughs) and used a lot of, um, I use a lot of scientific angler lines and I got SA. Um, I like their stuff. I've got, uh, you know, a lot of the fly tying companies, hairline, Wapsy, nature spirit, that sort of stuff. I do a lot of stuff from nature spirit. Um, I like their, I like the quality of all the stuff, bucktails. Um, they do like just good quality stuff. So I like that. Um, Thomas and Thomas, uh, that's another one that I like a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's that's your comp route showing through, right? Yeah, that's uh, man. And then I got my I got my dad a Thomas Thomas zone for Father's Day, and so we took it out it was two Mondays ago, and that thing it, it was awesome. Because my dad, he's like he's getting into fly fishing about the past three years, and so the, I don't think he ever would have dreamed of me giving him a rod that was over you know sixty bucks. Uh, and then, because he used a you know lower end rod for my, the whole time I was getting him into it, um, when he you know I wouldn't just hand him mine, but uh, yeah, and he was like casting right where he wanted to. He's like, this thing is awesome. So that's that's some of the cool stuff too. Is you know getting people into stuff like Thomas and Thomas when you realize you know your casting could suck because your rod does, <laughs> but not all the time. I say that, um, but I've also, I got a couple other brands. Um, one I also like a lot is Loop. Uh, you don't hear a lot of guys on the East Coast, at least I haven't, um, talking about Loop, which is a company out of Europe. Um, I I don't really know how that one happened. I mean, I know the rep, and then it was just kind of like, I was asking him about another company, and he was like, yeah, sure, you can have that one. And have you ever heard of this company called Loop? And I was like, heck, yes, I have. <laughs> and so um, I got some of their stuff in um i like i like their products i used one of their rods it actually the rod that i got from my loop rod got snapped in half when the guy drove, that was the only rod that broke when the guy drove through the uh the shop was my loop rod which that stunk a little bit but it's okay <laughs> well there you go yeah. you also you also carry uh, riley rods right yep that was that was the next one i was getting to that's the local stuff i like that one too um that's chuck craft i've got his whole lineup in here which is the uh Smallmouth, like that that's the the golden ticket right there <laughs> for casting a lot of the bigger flies that we throw um especially you know like clawed ads that sort of thing um so i've got riley rods um and i think with on the real game you know it's like three tan loop makes some pretty sweet reels um a couple others so and maxon outfitters which is a newer company too um and they sell a lot of the affordable equipment that sort of stuff so um, I'm, I'm still working on beefing up lines, um, lines being mainly reels right now. Cause I'm, I'm pretty happy with my, my rod selection from Riley to TNT to syndicate rods as well. Um, which is more of my, I, I own, I've got a syndicate, um, pipeline pro too. That's a, like a European style nymphing rod. And, um, I've used that rod a whole lot and I like it a lot. <laughs> well, that's really good. And you've got some Umqua stuff over there too, don't yep. you? Yeah. So I've got Umqua, Falling Mill, um, and yeah, I, I'm kind of, I like, I like my shop. <laughs> I got Broden nets, you know, like, so it's been cool because, and Smith sunglasses. Um, it's been cool because I feel like my shop is like me, <laughs> loon, you know, like stuff that I am, uh, I've always used or always like admired or liked. And then somehow it worked out that they wanted to do business with me. Well, that's awesome. And so you do your tying classes every other Thursday. Yep. So do you have one this week? Yes. And so for people to know, this week is the 20... What is it? Is it 27th is what it's going to be? Yeah. So if you list, yeah. yeah. So if you know then that basically every other Thursday from the 27th of June, uh, and what time are they? It's from 7 to 8.30 at night. We meet at the shop uh, and I set up a camera to my TV so we pretty much, if you are brand new at fly tying, if you've been tying for, you know, 180 years, <laughs> um, you can come. I wheel the aisles out of the way, set up chairs in the whole shop. Uh, we have a lot of spouses that'll come to learn to tie with their husband. Um, that's been pretty cool too, because, you know, I think one of the things too is there's been 
a fair amount of women that are looking to get into the sport, which is really cool, and and tying as well. I've had a couple of people who want to learn to tie don't care about fishing. They just um, you know, they're used to quilting and stuff like that. And they were like, I've always, I saw my grandfather do this. I want to give it a go. Um, we always have free decaf and cookies. You can bring whatever you want to drink, but I don't want to mess with all that licensing stuff. So I just say I bring decaf. <laughs> there you go. And do you need to register ahead of time or can you just show up? No, it's a show up. Um, so you just show up You can bring yourself, bring your spouse, bring your kids. Doesn't matter. Um, and we just hang out and tie. And if we, I've got loaner gear in the shop. Um, so if you have nothing, you know, you can show up, it's a free event. And then we open up the shop afterwards. So like if you want to get a tying kit after or buy a vice or buy a vice, yeah, you're good to go. We've had people do that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the other cool things, um, has been on the business side of stuff. Everybody's like, why don't you charge for this event? It's like, Cause I want this, I want it to be free. Like that, that's not going to change. I, I want people to get into fly time, not just because I'm being a selfish businessman, you know, but because I got into it for, for free. A, a older guy paid for, or he wasn't even that old, but paid for me to get into fly tying. And now here I am. So like, that's one of the little things that I can give back and help people understand. And I'm, I'm all for that teaching people how to tie flies or fly fish or you name it. So. Well, that's really cool, and I know that you don't officially run guide trips out of your shop, but I know that you have guides that are affiliated with your shop. So who are some of the guides that are affiliated with Tail Tellers? So my good buddy Matt Miles would be the first one. Um, he's who I send or tell everybody <laughs> about that. That's the first one. You know, if they're looking for to catch smallmouth um, or he does musky on the fly trips, a lot of trout trips. Um, so Matt Miles is the first one. Um, that I send people to. Uh, and then if you're looking for something out in the Bay, um, there's Chris Cease is the guy, like I said, I just went with him yesterday. Um, there's a couple other like local guides too, that if somebody's in a bind and, you know, Matt's tied up, um, then I'll send them to them too. Um, guy, Sam Scott with Blue Ridge Muskie. If somebody just wants to catch a muskie and, um, and Matt's booked up and they don't care if they catch it on the fly or on gear, um, Sam and Brent, they, they'll put them on, you know, musky. So there's, uh, that, that's kind of been, and then Matt Riley, like, so my philosophy with the shop has been, I'm just one man. So I, I can't do everything, you know, and I can't, I don't feel comfortable guiding, especially like, I'm not going to guide right up Matt Miles area, you know, <laughs> like he lives like 15 minutes from here and I'm good friends with him. So that I'm not interested in doing that. I'm interested in the retail teaching side of things. That's where my vein is. Um, I've, I've taught people how to fly fish, not for money, but a fair amount of times. And so, um, what, where I'm at is I want, I just like being friends with the local guides, push them, give them business. Then they send their clients back to me if they're trying to gear up or anything like that. And, and I'm happy with that. Um, the guides are happy with that. Um, and so it's, that's one of the interesting things about, about my shop is, you know, and you could say, well, it's just because you don't have a very big shop, but it, yeah, that might be true right now. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't have any guides in the shop. That's like, you know, if you call me up tomorrow and say, I want to fish the James river, I can tell you exactly, you know, where you can fish the James river, what flies, what gear, um, I can hook you up with one of the guides. Um, but it, it would be unlikely that I would take you if that makes sense, because somebody has to run the shop. And if it's not me, <laughs> it's cause we're three months old, you know, <laughs> no, dude, I, I completely, I've got it. So, um, I know you've got some new manufacturing lines that'll be coming in soon that you're kind of going to keep on the hush hush. Yeah. Um, but tell, what do you, um, what's your vision for tail tellers fly shop in five years? You know, if you fast forwarded five years, what do you, what do you want the shop to look like and be like, uh, bigger <laughs> would be the first. So right now we're in about six fifty seven hundred 700 square foot space, depending on if you view the bathroom as being <laughs> square footage. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, it'll be in downtown Lynchburg. Um, but bigger. That, that's that's kind of my my thing. Is um, I like the outfitters. Uh, so when I say outfitter, like clothing to me doesn't really get me going. You know, I'm not like let me have a shop filled with um, with clothing. That's cool. A lot of shops are like that. That's fine. Um, it's just not my style. I I like having pretty gear heavy um, shop. Lots of fly tying stuff. 
um, lots of flies, that sort of thing. So, you know, if we're talking five years, it'll probably be bigger location in downtown um, with uh, a whole lot more flies um, and whole like a lot more product. And then the other side of things too that I'm still kind of floating around because, like I said, I'm one of the, like the dreamer fellows is um, doing more of the like destination trips with people. Um, so like, you know, for example, uh, well, so this is just one of the funny things. I always thought it was funny that people did destination trips and they always go like halfway around the globe and it always costs like 20 grand <laughs> or like, or, you know, super expensive. So I, I'm still floating around with the idea of like doing destination trips. So like my, sh- my shop or people who would just sign up on the list pay the money we go to places that are closer to home more affordable for the everyday people um like there's some really great streams in pennsylvania really good stuff in tennessee um do a trip out to montana so stuff like that that people here in lynchburg um or like just local to virginia or whoever can tag along um like do it if somebody wants to go on a on a trip to the Amazon, then I, I come up with Matt Miles, you know, cause he does that every year, Belize, he does that every year. Um, so like for me, that's kind of where I would like to, to point towards in the future is just doing stuff for, um, sort of both branches. So like people who really just want to hang out with other flyingers and, and go fish out of a drift boat, we can all go down to the South Austin and, and run a trip down there. And I wouldn't be guiding cause you have to have, you know, fancy licenses and things for that in Tennessee, but, um, go with a guide group that's down there. So that sort of thing is, is what I'm more interested in, in the future. Um, and then just being, having a lot more product, um, a lot more outdoor product too. That's another thing. Like, um, I'm still floating around with the idea. Um, but like, even if I get into tents or stuff like that, you know, that's like outdoor gear that fly anglers, we could take it up to Shenandoah National Park. Um, or, you know, if it is your everyday guy who comes in who's just looking for quality outdoor uh, materials and stuff, then he can get that too. Um, but it would always be Tailtoe's Fly Shop geared towards fly fishing. <laughs> Got it. Well, before we go, why don't you let folks know one where you're located? Uh, when you're open and where to find you on the internet. All right. So we are located on 920 Commerce Street, downtown Lynchburg. So we're one street off of Main Street. Um, a lot of people come here to downtown. They stay in the Craddock Terry. It's this huge hotel. It's got a, a red boot out front, or I guess it's a high heel or something. Um, but there's a lot to do in downtown. There's, you know, bike trails, walking trails, the rivers, like... <laughs> close a <laughs> very close walking distance um a lot of places to eat and that that's another thing i always tell people when they come in the shop and they're visiting it's like where are you going to eat <laughs> so um, a lot of cool places to eat um uh, friends with a lot of the downtown business owners and the downtown there's a, a business association here it's been really cool um watching it grow and um so that's where we are physically located uh we are open right now tuesday through saturdays um so we are closed sundays and mondays for right now and again, that's just because it's just me and I like fishing. So <laughs> I spend Sundays with my family and Mondays I fish. And that's been pretty much my uh, my jive because um, I like to still stay on top of things. And it's easy too since the James is right there. I can just walk down to it and fish the James in the afternoon or morning. Um, and then if you're looking online for stuff, you can find us at tailtellersva.com. Um, which is our website that's got a lot of the rods that we carry, um, the fly lines, rods, reels. I'm still getting the tying equipment up, um, stuff like that. Um, tying equipment or like little tiny odds and ends I don't have up just yet online. But people, you can always call the shop too. Um, you can find the number online if you just type in Telltellers Fly Shop or it's 434-818-2007. Um, so like, I'm sure anybody would hear or remember that, but now they will, since I said that, <laughs> well, and I'll, and I'll drop it in the show notes. Too. Oh, that'll so, work too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's all the places you can find me. I, I do a lot of stuff on the Instagram machine. Um, I like taking pictures. Um, so that's tail tellers VA, which is just like tail tellers, Virginia, in case you were wondering what the VA, not you, but anybody else. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I'm, uh, if you are looking to find the most common updates, Instagram is the way to go uh, for me because I've got a Facebook page too. 
Um, but it seems to be like most of my interactions were like, if you send me a message or an email, um, I'll respond to it. I mean, I, I, I've responded to some dumb things, uh, but I, I usually always like to respond. Um, so yeah, you can always send me a message if you're looking for a place to fish in Virginia. Um, you can send me a message. I, if I can't find, if I don't know the answer, I, I find the answer. I'm that kind of person. It's like, I, I don't know. I just never liked it when somebody, you know, just said, Hey, this is where you should fish. So <laughs> that's what I do. I'll ask other people and say, this person is talking about possibly fishing in this area. Where should they go? Or stuff like that. So, yeah, you can always send me a message. Um, Anyway. Well, that's awesome. And, uh, Ethan, I appreciate you spending time with us. And, folks, I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. And if you like the podcast, do me a favor. Leave us a review in iTunes and subscribe in the podcatcher of your choice. Tight lines, everybody. Bye. Bye.